This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. The Grey Hot. Welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today is Richard Marquez. Hello, Richard. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, Unfortunately, we uh, are not here uh, with Lee. He is out being a healthy nut running his marathons, and we wish him the best of luck. And But we do have a recurring... Uh, guest host here with us, and that is Justin Ozer. Welcome, Justin. Hey, happy to be here, and I'm I'm a recurring uh, guest here, just like recurring guests on TNG. Once they appear twice, it's recurring. Exactly, <laughs> and we have a fabulous episode lined up for you today. Um, again, talking about a recurring guest, and that would be Ensign Rowe. So, uh, Justin, talk to us a little bit um, about Ensign Rowe and why you wanted to discuss her on Real Grey. Well, first I'll say that Roe is one of my favorite characters uh, from The Next Generation. Um, actually, in Star Trek, I, I just love, um, she has this this fierce determination about her, and she's she's just going to do her thing no matter what, which is something different than we than we've seen on, uh, on TNG before. Um, and she actually appeared in a lot of episodes, eight episodes. There were six in season five, uh, just one in season six, and then um, an episode finishing things out toward the end of, of season seven. And um, I'm also a fan of, of Deep Space Nine. And she was actually offered the, the role of the Bajoran first officer in Deep Space Nine was actually um, offered to actress Michelle Forbes um, to play as Ezra Laren, but she turned it down because she wasn't interested in a recurring role. She wanted to, you know, see what else she could do in, in TV and movies. So they rewrote it for, for Kieran Reese instead. I just find that interesting. Big. She's what? <laughs> no, it was a big mistake. <laughs> well, we can argue about that separately, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, she's also the first Bajoran that we see. So basically, they you know invented this this new species um, uh, for her character, and you know, big game, uh, you know, big part of of those episodes, and of course, a huge part of Deep Space Nine. So I just have a certain affection for her her character and what it means for Deep Space Nine, but also the impact that it has on the next generation because she's just a very different kind of character than than we see otherwise. So that's why I wanted to talk about her, and also we're going to do the ambitious thing of trying to talk about 
all of the episodes that, that she appeared in, all eight. So, Richard, what are your first impressions of Roe Laren? Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly don't like her. <laughs> um, and and, and the, I, I like this, the episodes that we're going to be discussing, but the, the character Ensign Roe I actually don't like. Um, and the only reason why it's... I have a personal time. I don't freaking like terrorists. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why. So that's why you don't like, like Kira either. Huh? <laughs> I I actually don't like Kira either. <laughs> but like, it's just like uh, I get what? it. I mean, if if it was if it was like real, if this was like real life, obviously none of this would ha- would happen, unless they they had a strategic reason for to ha- to bring her out of prison. But like, I mean, it, it, oh, I, I get the story. It's a great story, but it's just. It's just it it hits a personal level with me, and um, because yeah, you know, I fought with those dudes <laughs> out there. Well, there's, so yeah, there's yeah. something to, there's something to clarify, though. I mean, the character of Kira on Deep Space Nine, she was definitely a terrorist, basically, or a freedom fighter, however you want to call it. Um, in, freedom on fighter, Deep if they win. Nine. Yeah, on Deep Space Nine. But Roe actually has a little bit of a different story. She's, I don't think we ever get any sense that she's part of the resistance. She was in a, a camp because of the Cardassian occupation, and, and she had um, she had really, you know, struggled a lot. Well, through okay, the- you know what? Yeah, you're right. No, you're, you're right, actually. And I... Um- <sighs> I mean, they're dealing with terrorists in the first episode that are Bajoran, but that's actually not Rose' specific background, right? Because she uh, she's the one that got those officers killed, um, or not yeah. uh, not in, not directly, but yeah, uh, she could have stopped it. But um, anyway, but yeah, like uh, definitely, uh, I wasn't too fond with it, and I think um, I think obviously, I, uh, knowing that. It, it was going to turn out the way it was in Brianna's right. Uh, that uh, <laughs> it definitely, uh, definitely didn't settle well with me after that with her. But then again, I guess, I guess before that, yeah. But to me, if she would have started in D Space Nine, I think that would have ruined it for me. To be quite honest. Well, I. Um... It was interesting that you want to talk about Ensign Row, Justin, because I too do not prefer Ensign Rowe. Um, and my reasons are vastly different um, because of her little relationship with Riker, where that is Troy's territory and I get... Uh, she you know, lost her memory. <laughs> no, that is no excuse. And I tweeted out when I was watching, I'm like, maybe I'll like her, but no, I, I just can't. But also it, another reason. Oh, go ahead, Richard. No, I was going to say, you can't, you can't see my eye rolls. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even realize you were going to say that until you started. I'm like, oh my god. I know. It's all about Troy. So I no. guess, so I guess you hate every single alien that's ever flirted with them. No, see, that's the thing. And I was thinking about that because I am fine with Riker and his little escapades and I'm fine with Troy and hers. And we, we all know that they both have quite a few little escapades, if you will. But what, what the reason is, is because Ensign Rowe is a recurring guest. And so that made it a little bit more of a serious relationship rather than, oh, we're visiting this planet and we're going to fly away. Like that obviously is a dead end relationship. But the fact that there might have been something that could be, um, yeah, that is reserved for Troy. So don't be messing with Riker. Another, <laughs> we can talk later. 
Another reason why I don't really care for Roe is um, we've, again, she was introduced, um, you know, at the later end of the series. And up until then, as we know, Gene Roddenberry didn't want to have any conflict amongst the characters. And so you've got pretty good five seasons of, you know, getting along, liking each other, working together, building family, very uh, low on the uh, conflict amongst characters. And so then here comes Ensign Rowe, and she, you're right, she's very strong, opinionated, you know, dominating. And so then you get that conflict between the characters. And it just is so, oh my gosh, this is so brand new that it sort of you know, jars you a little bit. And that jarring, I just didn't like. So I haven't had the best of opinions of her for those two reasons, but I can appreciate her character. I just don't have to like her. So in a sense, what you're trying to say is don't rock the boat. (laughs) Right. Uh, so, no, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. We're not on the same page like we were with the uh, last one where we were together for Time Zero. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, good. that makes it interesting. <laughs> exactly. Makes for good discussion. Yeah. I actually thought uh, Amy was going to like her. I did, I actually thought I was going to be the only one. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. No, I'm going to be the only one here. I mean, yes. I, not a, I mean, of course, not only do I like Ro, but she's actually one of my favorite characters, partly because she shakes things up. I mean, I, I love Next Generation and I love the the vision of the future that it has, but something by that point in season five that's a little bit different that introduces some some conflict. I mean, you know, as I was going through the episodes, there is this immediate like jarring conflict in the in the first episode, and some of that continues, but it gets to the point where she's actually forging friendships with with people like LaForge and Guinan and Picard's trusting her and she's becoming, you know, a, a more of a part of the the crew. So I find that part of it interesting where she just doesn't even want to be there at all. And then by, you know, some of the the later episodes, she's becoming more more respected and and trusted and a part of of that crew. So I find that kind of, you know, integration into it really really interesting. But all through that She's staying true to herself. I mean, one of the the problems that I have with you know the next generation and the um, you know the main female characters in in particular is that they're put in these um, these roles that are traditionally seen as kind of you know nurturing and and caring kind kinds of roles, um, like we see for uh, for Crusher and for Troy. And Rose, something different. Her specialty is is tactical, and you see her doing a lot of science stuff. So I think there's a lot that's that's inspiring there, and that's and that's really different, and and that I can appreciate. So that's one of the things I like about her as well. Agreed. Well, we first meet Ensign Rowe um, in the fifth season, episode three, and titled Ensign Rowe. Uh, so, Justin, tell us about Ensign Rowe. What that episode is, real quick. Sure. So. Uh, basically, there is a <clears throat> terrorist attack against a, a Federation outpost. They find out it's, they call them the Bajora at this point. It's one, I think it's the only episode where they call them Bajora instead of Bajorans. And they're, you know, the, the Enterprise is being sent on a mission to investigate, see what's going on, to see what they can do. And as a surprise to everyone, someone beams aboard Ensign Rolaren, who's authorized by one of the admirals to help them with this. Now, she doesn't want to be there. Everybody is absolutely hostile uh, toward her at this point because she was involved in an incident where she disobeyed orders on an away mission. 
And so there's all of this conflict, all of this tension that, that happens, but, you know, long story short, she's able to really, you know, get involved in what's needed with the, the right Bajoran contacts to figure out what's going on, where they find out that uh, the Federation or the ad, this Admiral in the episode in particular is being played by the, by the Cardassians. So, um, and at the very end of it, you know, she's earned Picard's trust and she's going to stay on with the crew. So that's kind of a summary of the episode. So one of the things I really like about uh, this episode is that it's, a very political or it can be a very political or at least it, can, it will turn into one um about you know deception about the Bajora as well as the cardassians because obviously they have some serious beef going on between each other um because obviously they lost their home world uh but yeah it, i mean it, it starts out really well I, I actually really like this episode well, one thing that I always found interesting was, you know, we have obviously uh, five seasons here and we've got this family of our beloved crew and then here comes Ensign Row, and it's, it's not very Starfleet of them, I guess you will, to not welcome someone who is new. And so that antagonism is it's sometimes hard for me to believe because you see new people coming in and they don't get the same treatment and yeah. as Ensign Roe, but because she's, you know, disobeyed orders, come on, how well, many eight people times, died because of it? That's a big deal. Well, yeah, but how many times have we seen our crew, you know, disobey orders because they're thinking they're using their heads. They're, you know, not directly following. It's true, but none of them end up in jail for it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean, true. I mean, there's a big stigma. Like you're taking this person out of jail for this mission who killed eight people and the hostility makes a lot of sense to me. And she's this outsider that's coming in and is supposed to help them with this mission. And, and, uh, it, it makes sense to me. It's really jarring because you've never seen that in the next generation before where somebody comes aboard and they're given such a hard time. I mean, there's one point in the episode where where Jordy is, he's talking to someone. He says, you know, not only should she not be on this mission, she shouldn't be in a Starfleet uniform at all. Like this is someone that should not be here even, you know, in the service at all. So uh, there's a, a really strong reaction. I find that interesting because you've never seen that reaction before. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm glad you said that, Amy, because one of the things that, um, that a lot of the people I, I served with, because, um, I mean, it, it ultimately goes with unit pride. I mean, that's ultimately what the Enterprise D is, is mm -hmm. it's a unit and they're all gelling together because, yes, in a sense, they're family if they were all dudes or whatever. Um, <laughs> but like, um, but like, it's the same, it's the same thing, like in a, in a military unit, you gel with that person, you trust each other and you're willing to take those sacrifices with each other. Then let's add someone that you know is a screw up at another uh, another ship, and finally, and then actually comes to your ship reluctantly because they got killed, they or they killed or they were responsible for the deaths of seven other crewmates. You don't want that on. You don't want that in your ship because I mean, I, I mean, I, I get it. Uh, it's the same thing I would have probably done if I'd have known that uh, when, uh, if they were to come to you know, our unit or something like that. Like, I don't want you next to me because you're not, you're not willing to do what you, what needs to be done. And that, that, that you're, those are responsibility of those seven crew members are the reason why. And I guess something like that. Yeah. It would take a very long time to uh, gain 
any kind of trust from anyone. In fact, if it got around, uh, one thing that really surprises me is that it got around the whole, I'm assuming the whole, whole, all Starfleet, um, because something like that would be, you know, you incidental. I mean, you wouldn't, you or anyone that's involved and really you're not supposed to be talking about that, something like that, but it did. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, yeah, something like that would not be transmitted all over Starfleet. And maybe, maybe it's because of the flagship. I don't know. Maybe. So, but well, I figured there was enough hostility that whoever knew why it would just like spread the word. Like, can you believe this person is coming on board? I mean, or maybe it would have been a big news story at the time, right? Maybe something like this just didn't happen, you know, uh, or, or it was very rare that it happened. Who knows? But they all know yeah. about it. That's for sure. Right. They're all talking about it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like she was definitely set up to the writer set her up to not be liked and to bring that contention into the show. And obviously, and Michelle Forbes does a fabulous job acting, I think. Yeah, she does. She does a really great job. Um, yeah. So we also see her a couple episodes later in Disaster. And uh, this is the one I just watched. This is so much fun. So uh, there's, can, remind me again, what is the force that caused it? They were not attacked. Hit, but. Ships hit by a quantum filament. Yes, a quantum <laughs> filament. That's right. Whatever that How is. How I forget? <laughs> and so we have uh, Troy and Data are in 10 forward and Data is was making her a drink and then they lose their memories and uh so we think data is a bartender and oh i'm oh, that's sorry that's a different episode i'm sorry so 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 yes i know that's the next one <laughs> okay sure. let's try this again because i'm like no troy's on the you bridge. should know disaster more than anyone <laughs> so yes troy uh roe and uh miles o'brien are on the bridge and they're hit and uh Beverly, Crusher, and Jordy are in the cargo bay. And um, we have Riker and Data are crawling through the Jeffrey tubes trying to get to engineering. And uh, they're trying to obviously save the ship. And so I, I do. I really enjoy Disaster um, because this is where we see... In my mind, it's a Troy episode, but aren't they all? Um, but we get that tension between Roe, Troy, and O'Brien, again, because it is highlighting her determination and her just wanting to do stuff and to get it right. And, you know, her determination to save the ship is definitely evident. What did you think of this episode, Justin? Oh, I love this episode. And let's not forget Picard and the turbo lift with the three kids. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the one yes. the project, his really biggest great. fear. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, there are three kids here. What do I do? But he does pretty well. But anyway, to focus on, on Ro um, and Troy and O'Brien, actually, I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, there's these different scenes and when this first happens and I think Troy is even surprised, like, oh, I'm the senior officer here because this lieutenant was killed and I'm, you know, considered a lieutenant commander, like she almost forgot about that. So she's kind of tentative at first and she's like, what would you do? And uh, could you explain that to me? I don't know how that works, but she gradually gets more and more uh, confidence about it. I mean, and it's clear as Rowan O'Brien are trading these things back and forth that they're like extremely knowledgeable. They know what to do and all the procedures and they're connecting up the power and all of that. And, and Troy is, is, you know, gradually making more and more 
command decisions. And I think it is a really great um, Troy episode, actually, because um, I think that, that she does a great job balancing these concerns because Roe is like, you got to jettison that part of the ship. We don't know if anybody's alive there. It could kill everybody here. O'Brien thinks that's totally a cold-blooded thing to do. And Troy is like, well, let's give them a chance. Let's help them. Let's, you know, wait until the last minute to, to give them a chance. So she makes absolutely the right choice. Um, and Roe is kind of, you know, at odds with her the whole time, like, you could kill us all by doing this. I mean, she's speaking her mind like she always does. But I think it's interesting at the end, when everything's resolved, Ro says to Troy, I was wrong. She's willing to admit that she's wrong. And then Troy says, uh, you could very well have been right. So they're, they're kind of respecting each other's opinion. And, and that kind of interplay is really great. And you don't actually see that much on, on TNG between, um, you know, two women and, and the cast. And that part of it, that thread that runs through it, if you, if you pay attention to it, is, is really interesting. It's really strong for, for Troy. And Ro shows some, some humility. And I think it's a great episode. Richard, what did you think of Disaster? Well, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> we don't really see her doing any more command after that, really, except for crashing the ship. But <laughs> I'm just hey. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to team up with Amy and say you're being... I'm, gonna get the, yeah. okay, I'm already getting the death look. <laughs> no, it's a really good episode. I really do. And I really wish they would have built on that. And it's... I mean, it's it's one of those episodes where if you if you don't watch it, then it I mean, it really doesn't even matter. You, if you don't watch it at all, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't do anything after that. Um, it's, um, it, this is what? the episode what? that causes Troy to go and get her command. That's right, her command test. Yep. And yes. the only thing that the only thing that changed was her neck collar, and that's it. Well, thank goodness it did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah, it's, if, it's it's standalone, if but they, in the episode itself, yeah. it's really good. I really no no, and I agree. I I like the episode. I I just it's like it's it's like what we talked about with Troy, um, uh, with uh Lee and Duncan. I just, they, they had, if they're going to do a story like this, build on it. I mean, make something out of it. Make, make her a more of a commanding uh, structure or something like that. I mean, cause I mean, that's one of the things that really ticks me off about, we see all these great episodes of like Crusher, Troy, they're doing something great, brave, whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to watch it because the rest of the episodes don't reflect that. And it's like, okay, why are we, why, why even do the story? I mean, if you're not going to do anything with it now, no, but uh, you know, let's set that aside. <laughs> I actually do like this episode. It's a really good episode. Um, I, I, I especially love the interaction with Picard and the children. Uh, that's, it's quite hilarious <laughs> to me. It is. Cause I mean, he's trust, he's obviously trusting these, uh, you know, preteens, is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I guess preteens. Yeah. And uh, basically, you know, he's trusting them, and it. And I, th- uh, to me, that actually helped him out more than anyone else in in this episode. Obviously, Riker and Data are doing their own thing, and as they always do, try to figure out whatever. Same thing with uh, um, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah. But like, well, you know, it's it, yeah. I I just I really think if they would have built on it, I, I really think that. The only person that the only two people that benefited out of that was Picard and Roe. That was it. Troy was not one of them, unfortunately, except for her collar. But 
That yeah. w- I mean, that's that's kind of the nature <laughs> of of how TV worked then. That it was more standalone and, and episodic and didn't necessarily build as much. But yeah, it's 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 a big thing for for Picard, I think, to really you know just have children there and to and to handle it and you know feel more comfortable. But it, I think it's it's a big deal for for Row too, at least you know, in her interaction with some of the crew, she, you know, is in this situation where, where Troy is, you know, asking for her opinion, respecting it as much as O'Brien. It doesn't matter what happened with, with Roe before she's going to, you know, take her opinion into, into account and her expertise. Um, and then it's, it's kind of, you know, gradually building some, some more, you know, trust among the crew at this point. So, and I think it's interesting that this episode disaster came, I think just a couple of weeks after Ensign Rowe. So they already knew even before that first episode would air that they wanted Rowe back and they brought her back in this episode. So they, they had some confidence that they really wanted to build on that. Right. Yes. Agreed. So the next time we see Ensign Rowe um, is we're still season five, but now episode 14 in conundrum. This is Amy's favorite episode ever. <laughs> no, I no. This is not. I will have plenty to say about this. Um, uh, should we give a summary? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So in in conundrum, uh, a ship comes up. There's a pulse. Everybody loses their memory. They have to figure out what's going on. Um, Worf at first thinks he's he's the captain. There's this guy who appears, Macduff, who's totally been there the whole time, <laughs> who is uh, supposed to be the first officer and Riker is the second officer. And through the course of the episode, uh, Macduff leads them toward war with this one species until they figure out that, you know, it, it's not the right thing to do and they get their memories back. Well, they kill Macduff too, but um, that's basically what happens in the episode. This is that yeah. episode that uh, I was having memory problems with, and you were the one that uh, that told me what this episode was. I can't remember what we were talking about, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the one I was starting to talk about with Data <laughs> pouring the drink for Troy because they're in 10 forward, but yes. Yes. So, well, I mean, there's a couple things of this episode. Yes. One of the big things that happens is that Rose seduces Riker and they sleep together. Sorry, Amy. It happened. It's canon. Seriously (laughs) seducing. I cannot believe I will save my harsh comments for in my head, but I can't believe her. I'm not going to call names, but you can imagine what's going through my head. I seriously... Oh, I figured that my uh, quarters aren't as comfortable. I, th- I think I spend all my time here. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And Riker smiled. You know, it's not like he was like, oh, no, this is a bad idea. He was like, oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. He's in plenty of trouble in this episode, too. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So something, let's go before that. We'll skirt around that part. But okay. before that, when they lose their memories, I think what's interesting is, you know, in Ensign Row, some, some episodes back, Riker, you know, when, when she appears on the transporter pad, is extremely hostile to her, tells her to take off her Bajoran earring. Who knows, you know, what the regulation is for that that, you know, also allows Worf to wear his sash or whatever. But, exactly. but he is angry at her in that, in that episode. Now Very much this, so. You can see it, definitely. You can see it. He is, he is extremely angry. And not wanting episode, to work with her, nothing, no, yeah. Not at all. But then in this episode, you know, they, uh, they, they lose their memory, 
And now he doesn't remember that hostility or what Roe had, had done before, just, you know, I guess the, the things that his expertise in different areas. And they're working together on the bridge. They're, you know, trying to figure a way out of this. That hostility isn't there. So it had everything to do with what she had done before and not necessarily with her as a person, which I think is really interesting. And you wouldn't be able to know that if he hadn't lost his, his memory. That they in that first part they are actually you know working together pretty well. It's another instance where Rose gaining you know some more trust for for with the crew and and working with them more. So I find that interesting as well. What was her uh, rank in this episode? She's still ensign. Ensign. She's ensign until the until the last episode. Which when yeah, she, I was gonna say she yeah she became lieutenant junior grade. Yeah, I think she's ensign okay. in this one. Because I was but, wondering the pairing between her, him, him being the second officer with an ensign to go and do crew rotations and check on the ducks. Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah. So when they, when they actually, you know, when, when there is this thing that's planted in the computer for what they do, uh, Rose listed as helm officer. So she's usually piloting the ship and, and, and at helm, but I guess it's because other people are busy doing other things and, you know, she can go with him to, to, ch- I don't know why, maybe yeah. it doesn't quite make sense, but yeah. she's one of the people, the senior officers there who's, who's available to do that. So they check on the crew quarters and it's all downhill from there according to Amy. But I mean, I, uh, me personally, like I have no special attachment to any relationship in Star Trek. There are certain ones that I, that I really like and that I appreciate. Uh, Riker and Troy is one of them, but you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And, and it, it doesn't bother me, but I know for a lot of people, you included Amy, it's a, it's a big, it's a big bother. It's a big problem. So, but for me personally, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the, what bothers me more about it is is that the main way that, that Roe is used in this episode is as someone to seduce Riker, and that that part bothers me because you know in in the previous episodes and in the other episodes you see her with her expertise and you know making decisions and and you know providing advice and doing tactical stuff and all that which i really like but but here for the most part she's just there for that element to seduce riker so i think that that kind of um limits the the character although the um the conversation that happens at the end of the episode i think is really interesting because there's a certain uh, there's a certain trope that you know, if two people sleep together and they've lost their memories or they're drunk or whatever, then they're going to avoid each other or say it never happened. Let's not even talk about this. But there's this scene in 10 forward where Troy and Roe are talking together and kind of laughing together. And Riker comes up and he's like, so uh, sorry about, you know, what happened. And they're like, no, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, I think Troy says, you know, sometimes when you lose your memory, you do things you've always wanted to do. And he's like, she said, what? (laughs) He's just kind of flabbergasted. So it kind of subverts the usual expectation or the usual way these things end. And I I like that, that part of it. But overall, as an episode, it's, it's, it's an odd episode. So I guess if Troy's okay with it, then you should be okay with it. (laughs) Well, that's why. Okay. Well, but that's why that last scene really does. It just, it makes it. And, you know, you, you see them both sitting and then Riker approaches and I'm screaming at the TV, run away, run away. This cannot end well for you, Riker. Um, but no, it is good. And, but it gets me wondering, like, 
if you really do lose your memory, are you going to change that much? I mean, so drastically, you know, it just really makes me wonder, like if, yeah, if I still had my abilities, but would I change completely my morals and standards? I mean, a little bit. I think, I well, think they do po- say that oh, it's a good, okay. sorry. No, oh, I was, was going to say, it's like, uh, they, <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> Richard. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, no, I, what I was going to say is like, they do say that you're, you're a completely different person from like, I don't know, from teenage to 20 a year old to like, you know, if you make it to 60, 70 year old and yeah, you're a completely different person. I don't know. I'm, I'm, for me, it's, I'm I'm only 34 and I'm a different person than I was back in freaking high school. (laughs) Yeah. But that's because you have your memories and stuff like, well, yeah, but I mean, I guess it deals with chem. Yeah. I I guess I I would assume that you, you you probably would because I guess each experience is different from the next. And I guess it's the way you react and that's, you know, you got your memory, but I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, I think, I think it makes some sense because the way that this, this memory erasure is done, you know, they, they know how to speak and they know what their expertise is like Rose still knows how to pilot the ship and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, they have that expertise, but they don't have their memories of let's say what they were taught growing up or, you know, what they should feel about somebody or what they did. So I think it makes a certain amount of of sense, although how you could be that specific about it. And, you know, one photon torpedo is going to destroy your enemy. That part doesn't make any sense. Like how they'd be that sophisticated with memory removal. Well, yeah, exactly. And, uh, that's great that they, they recognize that, you know, their common sense versus, Oh yeah, sure. Well, let's just, let's just do this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it is, it is good. And I have my bias for that episode, but we do, get to see Roe. Another small part for Roe is in Power Play. Uh, The next week, she shows up, season five, episode 15. Uh, What's Power Play about, Justin? Right. So basically, the Enterprise gets a distress call that's coming from from a moon. And... um, and ba- let me see if I remember right. So, so basically, they send an away team down. Anyway, Troy, Data, and O'Brien um, go down to the planet, and they have to go down in a shuttle. They they see this energy cloud. Um, Troy feels that there are people that are alive, or there's you know something uh, that they need to to investigate. But the storm gets really bad, and they have to to beam back up using their pattern enhancers. And right before that happens, they're all knocked down and three out of the four of them have these little entities invade them. Uh, So they come back to the ship and those entities want to take control of the ship uh, through, yeah, it was Data, O'Brien, and and Troy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and there, and there's this whole kind of struggle that, that happens. Um, they claim that, uh, well, Troy is, is in the guise of Captain Bryce Schumar, uh, from a ship from the 22nd century, a couple hundred years before, um, and says that they just want to, you know, be laid to rest and, and have some sort of, of peace. But they, they find out, um, in the end that they're really, 
these entities from a penal colony and they just return them to the penal colony. And that's the, the end of the episode. Now Ro's involvement is in trying to, um, to basically, uh, you know, counteract what they're doing to retake control of the ship or to, to knock those entities out of the, the different uh, bodies. Uh, so what do you think of the episode, Amy? Well, you were right. Riker does go down, but he wasn't invaded by one of those uh, penal colonies, colonists because he was injured and and those endorphins of pain caused the that he couldn't get invaded. So I just wanted to set that straight. Um, I really like Power Play uh, in part because it's a very good Troy episode. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, I, I need to stop I this. I'm getting <laughs> All the listeners are going to stop listening because I keep talking about Troy. No, but it is really good. Um, and I've heard uh, Marina Sirtis talk about this and how she got a huge bump on her head because <laughs> of that fall that she was doing her own stunt for oh, right. stuff yeah so that's always fun but um i think it's a great episode um a little weird you know with the okay all of a sudden everything's okay at the end um but yeah i like power play richard what do you think yeah you would think that counselor troy would actually do her job <laughs> she <No>. did <laughs> i'm, just, I'm, I'm just, going to I'm smack you <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you're over there and I'm over here. <laughs> I'm just what are you saying? Me. The other two should have done their jobs by not being invaded by the entities? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I meant the counseling part because <laughs> he said everyone was uh, was uh, was okay with it afterwards. <laughs> or maybe she was so good that she actually uh, did her job. There you go. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, it's a good, it's a great episode. I I actually like it. Yeah, it's a small role for uh, Ro, uh, but like, it's definitely. Um, I mean, I think it's it's not it wasn't for it. Well, I don't know who it was exactly uh, for. I mean, it was a good it was a good standalone story. That's for sure. Uh, well, there is there. <clears throat> Roe has a smaller role, but actually, it was maybe a bit bigger than I thought it would have been. And at one point, you know, Worf tries to. Um, storm 10 forward and he gets taken he gets captured there and then they go back to the bridge and who is it that's behind the horseshoe railing uh doing what Worf usually does but row so she's doing all of this this tactical stuff during the episode and she's giving Riker advice for what to do you should do this and that to and and then she um she crawls through the the Jeffries tubes with with Jordy to try to, you know, take this setup and she knows what it does and, you know, and she sets it up. It doesn't quite work, but I think it's interesting. It just kind of builds on the the skills and expertise that you see her having. And apparently in addition to piloting the ship, she could just fill in for wharf, which is cool. Yeah. So that causes me to wonder, do we see another character as well versed as Ensign Rowe? Because, you know, I, I can see for main characters, like you are going to be in your expertise, you know, uh, Worf is tactical, Beverly's medical, Jordy's engineering. You know, I, I think at the beginning, like Worf sort of, you know, when Tasha was there, like he sort of did lots of different things. And until Jordy was, you know, head engineer, he sort of was doing a lot of varied things, but we don't see in my well, Barkley, he's no, he's mostly engineering. He's engineering pretty much. Yeah, yeah she, so she is really making the rounds and either shows her knowledge because of that or the writers just aren't sure exactly what to do with her. You, you know what I just realized? 
Picard doesn't res- respect Worf. I mean, because like, unless unless we unless we know um, unless he went to like the advanced uh, tactical training like Roe did, he he got screwed over on that. What you mean? Because like, Picard's always telling Worf no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like so. So okay. So he's the tactical. Obviously, because he got the tactical uh, just slot because of Yar dying and all that kind of stuff. And uh, obviously, he was the next runner up. And then, like you, like you were saying, Amy, like you know, uh, Roe was a very uh, obviously knew something about tactics and also helming the ship. But Worf is just security. So if he's that good and he's the you know the the main tactical office or the main security guy, then wouldn't he have gone to the the um, the advanced uh, tactical training like Roe did as well? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I don't know. No. Well, I think she was called on there for a special assignment. Is sort of what no, no, I no but, but this is this is further this is further along down the this oh. is yeah, that's what it, is what I'm yeah thinking. when we get to yeah. preemptive strike, but <laughs> yeah, when we get it, I it just yeah. it just I mean, because as soon as you were saying that that she was good at tactical, I was like, wait a second, Warp just knows one thing, and that's it. And obviously, he's getting jealous over it uh, when uh, Roe was uh, basically talking about you know. Um, uh, tactics and security and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, I think it's a good question. Like, what? Like, when you're at Starfleet Academy, do you just have one specialty, or can you go between different specialties? I think we don't know. I mean, like with with Worf, we don't know what kind of training he gets. But on Deep Space Nine, he's the strategic operations officer. I don't know if that's similar to tactical or different, but he does something I think a little bit different there. But yeah, it is interesting. And like in a, in a later episode, it seems like Roe knows quite a bit about engineering as well. So it seems like she could do all of these different right. positions despite being an, an ensign. So there's something in the background that we don't know about. And I'm not sure, but I thought it was it was cool to see that she can do more than just pilot the ship. You know, right. she, can, mm. she can do a lot of other things. And I like that about her character because it's not just focused on on one thing. Yeah. So another small part, we see a couple episodes again, we're still season five, episode 18 is cause and effect. I think the only introduction you need is, I repeat, all hands abandon ship. (laughs) Right? This is the one where the Enterprise gets destroyed. Showing a... Is a D broken model. D, yes. <laughs> and you know what? You know the crazy thing is? It's the same to sell. <laughs> <laughs> same one that gets this. So I'll just describe this. So let's say. So my cat, uh, maybe I, I bought this Eagle Moss, uh, the Enterprise, or yeah, I bought the Eagle Moss Enterprise maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I left it on my kitchen counter table that the night that I got it, funny enough. And next thing you know, at like three o'clock in the morning, I hear this loud crash. My fat cat freaking either sat on this or, or, or whatever, or tried to tackle it, or he was, I, what I really think he was trying to do, because I've been watching Star Trek with him in the, in the room, is that he likes to reenact uh, cause and effect. And funny enough, it's the same <laughs> cell that broke off and yeah. everything. So and this thing is delicate too. <laughs> And really, the funny thing is, I'm sorry we're on a tangent here, but the funny thing is, is I also have a uh, Enterprise D model, and it is missing the exact same nacelle. So it's she was trying to reenact it too. Yeah, crazy. (laughs) So yeah. So sorry, Justin. Tell us uh, what does Roe do? What does she play in cause and effect? Yeah. So basically, I mean, there's the time loop episode, and she she's in each of the loops, but it's a small 
it's really a small part. I mean, basically she's doing things like saying inertial dampers failing, we're losing attitude control. And then Picard says all hands abandon ship and then it explodes. I mean, there's a little bit more, be- I-, I love cause and effect. It's one of my favorite episodes, but basically she just gets certain variations like sensors didn't detect this until we were right on top of it and maneuvering thrusters aren't responding. So she's just doing different things at, at the helm. Um, I think even in the, in the last loop, that's all she does. So there isn't really much to say except they just thought they'd slaughter in there so people would remember, I guess, but there isn't really much that's contributed to her character. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still sad over it. It's still I, sad I, about his missing this. Oh, Oh man. I actually thought someone broke into my house actually <laughs> when I heard this thing crash. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and then I turned on the lights and there it was. Yeah. I had my actually it not the same thing happened, but like what's behind me, which is the all good things, Enterprise D right up here. Mm-hmm. I've had the cats disturb that and it's fallen over. It has like a little saucer separation thing too, so it'll like separate. There's like little nicks on the paint, but it's it's pretty big, so it hasn't Nothing's broken off, thankfully, but it's fallen from that height before. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I used to have I, I used to have the diecast uh, Enterprise D where you could separate it and everything, and that thing was indestructible. I think I I think I threw that saucer separation, and this was before generations, mind you, uh, Amy. <laughs> okay. But like I threw that thing like like a like a frisbee sometimes, and it's got so it well I don't know where it's at now. I got it somewhere in this house, but like. Um, yeah, it's got so many scratches on the bottom of it of me throwing it <laughs> like a da- like a frisbee. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so, the, the, yeah. This one's probably fallen off like five times, and it's still okay. Nice, it's, nice. It's well, I'm jealous. Mine didn't survive. Mine Sorry, was the weaker version. You have the small one. <laughs> <laughs> It's not about size. <laughs> I know, but I mean it's here because it's like 18 inches long or something like that. The the ship. Uh, so what I do like about Ensign Row, <laughs> that getting back on topic here, um, I we've got like you said, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, six episodes in season five, and yeah, even though we've now talked about two small parts for her, that yeah, the writers are continuing to put her in and to so that we're seeing her face and you know, that she is now becoming a part of the crew and she's getting these lines and stuff. I find that interesting. Um, Outside of Luoxana, has there been another character that's been so written in deliberately like this? Well, Guinan, of course, in more episodes, but... um, Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, but I mean, she, I mean, like I was actually taking a look at it and she does get quite a few appearances. I mean, Gowron is in fewer appearances than Roe is in TNG. Um, so she, she's actually really prominent. She's actually, I think, the most prominent guest star in season five. I don't think, you know, Loxana or Gowron or even Guinan isn't in as many episodes of season five as, as Roe is. Right. So I think it's, it's really interesting. I think they like the character. They kept bringing her back. And because that happens, it makes me think she's always there. We just don't necessarily see her on the shift when she would be in the episode. But she's like always there, I think, for three seasons, which is something you just you just don't see, um, see elsewhere. But and then also at the same time, as I mentioned at the beginning... You know, they were, they were, it wasn't their intention when they created the character of Roe and the Bajorans that it would have anything to do with Deep Space Nine. But as that was developing during season five of, of TNG, they 
they were kind of building it around Roe being part of, of Deep Space Nine. So I think that's part of the reason why they had her, you know, more and more um, on TNG. And I think as late as April of 92, which was toward the end of season five, um, you know, Roe was, was a part of, of um, the, the outline and the story for Deep Space Nine until Michelle Forbes turned it down. So I think that became the intention more and more as the season progressed. Right. So um, one of the uh, last season five episodes uh, is the next phase. Uh, and this one is really fun. They're going, and this is uh, Jordy and Roe, and they end up in a transporter malfunction, right? Uh, basically, yeah. And then, yeah, they're not beamed back, uh, but they're out. Uh, well, no one can see them, and so they all think that they um, died. And but they haven't. They're just in this phase shift with a Rom- Romulan. 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 Thank you. Yeah. And so they're causing havoc, and then yes, they finally get so that they can phase excruciating pain and then they get them back into the correct phase. So, uh, Richard, what did you think of the next phase? I I like this episode, but the only thing I have problem with it is that what's keeping them on the ground. (laughs) Oh, you know, I've thought about this and read about this. So there is an explanation. I think that was given in one of the books. Do tell. But how did, but how did they get across to the other, to the other ship? Obviously they can't beam over. What did they walk on the the phaser beam and walk right across? Yeah. So, (laughs) Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. The, the explanation is they can't be seen because they're, they're in a different phase and the, the, the photon, light photons or you know, the, the sound waves are out of phase, right? However, mm-hmm. you know, people are able to walk on the ship because of the, I think there's gravity plating in, in the decks, right? That, that keeps them to the right. ship, which is done with right. particles called gravitons. And the idea is that those gravitons can go through that phase in order to keep them on the ground on the ship. And when they're going over to the Romulan ship, they're just going right over into the shuttlecraft and then onto the Romulan ship. So at all times they're near something that has, you know, gravity generators that can keep them on, on the deck. Makes That's sense. explanation I've seen. Does that make sense? I'm buying yeah, it. I guess. <laughs> techno babble, techno babble. There's an explanation. Yeah. I know, I know. It's like so they can go through walls, but yeah. the but the floor on the other hand, that's a different. But the thing. floor because Whatever. they're being they're being kept on the floor. I mean, just like when we're on Earth, you know, gravity is keeping us to the to the ground. Um, it's it's doing the same thing on on the ship. Now, there, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there is a goof here because while they're still out of phase. Um, Roe is on the bridge and she actually touches a chair and the helm console and her hand doesn't go through. So I think they made a mistake on that part, but they're pretty consistent <laughs> otherwise. They go through just like a ghost. <laughs> yeah. So no, it's a good I episode. Really, yeah. I, I actually really enjoy this episode. I really do. It's it's a really good, you know, try, it's one of those mystery uh, uh, episodes that I absolutely just love and it, it's it, it, i mean i love you know and you're, you're what's gonna happen next sort of thing and um and crazy enough what a romulan goes with them too so yeah <laughs> 
I like this episode. Yeah, because we also, you know, when they're discussing, oh, have we died? And that question of, is this the afterlife? And now we're being introduced to, through uh, Ensign Rose's point of view, like what is the afterlife for her culture? And so we're getting that added context for who she is and and her um, cultural background. And so I thought that was uh, very good. I, I like that part of the episode as well. Yeah, I, I like that part a lot, actually. Um, I think it's really interesting that, that Ro is accepting, you know, this is death, and she didn't really believe in what her Bajoran culture has to say about the afterlife and spirituality, but it's starting to convince her, like, oh, maybe this is really, um, this is really what it's like. And I think in there they, they mention... Um, you know, the, the Bajoran death chant. She's like, no, please don't do that. It takes two hours. Um, but these kind of questions, these life and death questions, um, I always find them really interesting. And there's not a whole lot of, of episodes where you see it explored quite as much or someone thinks they're dead and, and, and they're really thinking about, about what that means. Um, I just find that, that really interesting. Um, and, and also, I mean, another thing is in the episode Ensign Row. Jordy is extremely hostile to Roe and says she shouldn't even be in the uniform. And now they're in this situation where they have to work together. They have to trust each other. And he is, is, you know, trusting her and, and they're helping out each other. So that's a big change. I mean, and even at the end, they have this great laugh when, when they're, when uh, Jordy says, if you can teach Roe humility, you can teach someone anything. And they just have this genuine laugh of friendship that ends the episode. So I think that's, that's an amazing change from somebody that just did not want to see her, didn't want to turn their back on her, serve with her at all. And now she's made a friend. And I didn't mention it before, but in Ensign Roe, you know, Guinan goes up to Roe when she's having some difficulty with the mission and befriends her. So now on, on the ship, she has at least, you know, um, Jordy's friendship and Guinan's friendship, and she's gotten some of Picard's trust. I will note, however, at the top of the episode, Riker is still hostile to Roe. So uh, I don't know if it has to do with him being, you know, angry about being so uncomfortable with Roe and, and Troy talking about what happened in, in, uh, in Conundrum. But Riker continues to have some, some hostility uh, toward her, which is interesting. But she's kind of gradually becoming more and more a part of the fabric of the ship. And, and that's one of the things I, I really like about this episode. Yeah, I like when, yeah, she's questioning what she's been told her whole life about the afterlife and stuff. It, that that was very powerful. And you're right, Jordy, you know, he comes to the point where, you know, we've seen this before with him where it's like, well, you're stuck here. You need to work. And so survival sort of depends on you working together. And so we see this recurring theme with Jordy before and how well that they do work together because of that common goal. And then, yeah, exactly at the end where you see them, they now have this bond, you know, this common experience that will uh, keep them friends. So that is a nice transformation to see. So, um, Another fan favorite. We come to Rascals. This is season six, episode seven. And uh, Justin, tell us what is Rascals in case anyone doesn't know. Uh, well, basically, uh, Picard, Roe, Keiko, and Guinan are returning to the ship after they visit a planet. 
there is some energy turbulence, something happens, they have to be transported back and oh my goodness, they come back as kids. They have all their memories, they have their adult minds, but they look like kids. And they basically have to deal with that through the, the episode. Um, and then in the middle of the episode, Frankie come by with two birds of prey to take over the Enterprise. And they have to hatch this plot as kids to save the day. And they do, the end. <laughs> That's basically what happens. Richard, how did you like Ensign Row in this episode? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> really? I, I didn't episode. I didn't like this episode at all to be quite honest. It just felt weird wow. um, watching it. And I've never liked this episode. Um and it's not because of, you know, Roe or anyone else. It's just it, to me in general, it's it's just weird. I mean, it's one of those episodes that I just skip over. I mean, I I've watched it, I've seen it a couple times, yeah. But it it doesn't get any um less more uh, less weird <laughs> for me I mean, it's just i don't know it it, it just does all right well yeah. <laughs> sorry i called it a fan favorite um i really well i was gonna say episode. something to you about that i was like yeah I was like, some no, people don't like it yeah. huh yeah. i have uh, it's not, not come across it's not. anyone but now i have um <laughs> i really like this episode in part because the guinan and roe I, that's to me what makes the episode of reliving and letting loose and bringing back the inner child. And so many times as adults and in adult life where you're just so inundated and, you know, the responsibilities of adulthood are so heavy. And to have that chance to go back and just to be kids, and that's what Guinan is teaching, Ro. And we also get uh, backstory of her, like she never really had uh, this quote unquote childhood experience because of her culture and where she grew up and stuff. So I really like uh, this expanded character development in Row. Yeah. Justin? I, I, I love this episode. It's definitely one of my favorites. And well, I just love the idea of them kind of running around as kids. It's fun. Sure. The Ferengi are kind of ridiculous in this one, but it doesn't even matter because it's, it's so charming. And I do think the heart of it is Guinan and Roe. I mean, in the episode, you know, we find out she was in these terrible camps for about 10 years. Um, things were horrible. I don't know if we find out here in another episode, but at a certain point when she's a kid, uh, the, the Cardassians, you know, bring her to see her father and they torture him to death over the course of a couple of hours, just brutal, awful stuff. So you figure that, you know, having gone through that, um, you know, kind of pushing through and doing her work is a big thing. At first, when she's a kid, she's like, what do I do? What is, you know, what do I do now that I'm a kid and I've been relieved of duty? Um, I want to work. I want to do things. And Guinan's like, hold on a minute let's, you know, there's nothing we can do about this. Let's be kids. Let's have fun, you know, and, and she convinces her to have fun. They're jumping on the bed and all that. And, um, to be able to kind of transform that experience a terribly, awfully traumatic experience, um, into, you know, having another chance at childhood is, I think is, is, is amazing in this episode. And I love the ending as well, because, you know, they, they deal with the Ferengi, They've, you know, transformed some of the people back to a, adults, Picard and Keiko, and an adult Guinan comes in uh, to a, a young Roe who's drawing with some crayons, and she's like, oh, it's my turn, isn't it? Um, and, 
and basically, you know, Guinan says, well, only if, if you're ready to, to do that. And, and Rose saying, it's not as bad as I remembered it. Um, you know, but I guess we've, we've got to do this. And Guinan says, what's the hurry? And she starts, you know, drawing with her, they smile and, and, they kind of end on a long shot on the episode. So Ro gets to kind of experience that extended childhood and get some healing from that with Guinan's help. I, I love it. I actually think that last part is a really beautiful uh, moment in an otherwise just kind of fun and silly episode. So Agreed. Sorry, Richard. We, we like it a lot. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, everyone can. Uh, I mean, it's just like... Um, <laughs> Everyone has an opinion. No, no, no. I was going to say it's oh. just like with that that one episode. What is that? The race, the most racist episode. Code of Honor. Um, code of, I mean, it's not like Code of Honor with me. So you know. <laughs> it's I, yeah. You know, well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I'm talking about like how people like it and don't like it. <laughs> I think there, you know, I think there's a mix. I think there's a lot of people that like it, a lot of people that don't like it and think it, that it's silly. I mean, one thing to note: this is the first TNG episode directed by Adam Nimoy, so I think that's that's kind of cool. You know, it started his directing career, which recently has gone into documentaries like for the the Love of Spock and the upcoming DS9 documentary. So, um, I find I just yeah, find that, was that amazing. Yeah, their their whole campaign uh, to get gather all that money. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that, I mean that, but that's where Adam Nimoy really got started with his directing career was in this episode, which I think is really cool. And I just like the feel of it. I just always smile thinking about the episode, even though there's some silly parts of it. So yeah. I, I like it. And I think, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, Michelle Forbes is in it for about, you know, two minutes as the adult row, but you get all of these young kids and I, and the young kids are great. I mean, the young Guinan is amazing and the young Keiko and Picard are really great, but the young row, I think manages to uh, kind of capture um, the attitude that she has while at the same time, I don't know, being a bit, a bit more flexible, as, as a kid might be. So I really liked her. And I, I was actually, you know, taking a look at, at what she's done. Her name was Megan Parlin and she now does like, she writes and produces science documentaries, which I think is really cool. I don't know, maybe she was inspired by this experience, but I think that the young kids, they carry the episode and they made really great choices here. So I, I like that as well. Yeah. Well, our last episode that Ensign Rowe appears in is Preemptive Strike. Uh, that is season seven, episode 24. So quite a big jump from season six now to the end of season seven. And uh, tell our listeners, Justin, what Preemptive Strike is about. Right. So in Preemptive Strike, it opens with uh, Rowe coming back to the ship. She's been at advanced tactical training. She's been promoted to lieutenant. Uh, she's talking to Picard. I mean, it's clear that they have, uh, you know, a lot of respect for each other. Um, and uh, at a certain point, uh, Picard has a mission for her to infiltrate uh, the Maquis uh, because they're just creating um, a lot of problems along the demilitarized zone. Uh, she has to infiltrate uh, them. And, you know, it, it seems like for most of the episode that she's being, you know, really loyal to, to Starfleet's mission, but that starts to kind of crack and change over the course of the episode to the point that at the end, she prevents uh, Starfleet from, you know, doing their operation to, to help take down the Maquis and she goes ahead and, and joins them. And there's a final scene where you can tell that it's, it's just kind of, 
almost broken Picard. Like he doesn't know what to do. There's this kind of really haunting uh, shot of him at the end. So, um, and that's the last thing we see on screen of, of Roe, Lieutenant Roe, who's now in the Maquis. Yeah. Richard, what did you think of preemptive strike and ends in row? I have mixed feelings about this one. I mean, it's a, don't get me wrong. It's a good episode. It really is. It tells a story, um, how people are, uh, yeah, I guess fighting for, uh, fighting for their, um, you know, livelihoods and, you know, and whatnot. Um, at the same time, it also brushes up with terrorism, uh, really, 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 really bad, uh, for me. Um, and it's, yeah, I know it's not the same thing. I know everyone's going to say, oh, well, ISIS and ISIL or whatever, uh, and Al Qaeda are all religious, uh, freedom, but it's basically the same thing. It really is. I mean, whether it be land, religion or whatever resources or whatever, it's all the same thing. Um, and you could even say Chechnyan, uh, rebel or uh, rebels are basically terrorists too, because they are, um, even though it's Russia and they kind of deserve it. Uh, <laughs> Russia, that is. Um, but like, it, it's, um, I, I don't know. It, it's it, it's one of those episodes that I feel that it romanticizes uh, terrorism. <laughs> and, I, and and that's part of the reason why I don't, that's, I'm, I'm, that's part of the reason why I'm half and half with this episode. Um, I get the story. It's great. It was great when it was told back in the 90s. Looking at it again, if I were to watch it for the very first time, I would have hated this episode with everything I had. I really would have. Yeah. So. Sorry. Sorry, Justin. No, I mean, that's, 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 your, that's your opinion about it, and that's, that's fine. Um, so I, I actually really like this episode. I think that this is one of those episodes where, where TNG – uh, gets closest to to the kind of aesthetic and storytelling of Deep Space Nine because there's a lot of complexity. There's um, some unexpected things that happen. I think when I first saw this episode, I didn't expect her to defect over to the Maquis. I expected that it would be you know really difficult for her to stay loyal to Starfleet, but she would do that. So it it surprised me as Deep, as Deep Space Nine does sometimes. But I don't think that it's romanticizing what the Maquis are doing. I think that it's looking at one person's struggle with this because I mean, there's a couple of things that are going on for, for Roe. So, you know, during her, her childhood, there was this terrible oppression by the Cardassians. Um, and I think, you know, she has a lot of, or had it at least at one point, a lot of hatred for them and wanting to, you know, get even in, in some way for killing her father in front of her. So, what happens during the course of the episode is that she infiltrates this, this cell and she finds her, herself feeling a certain affinity for what they're doing. They're, they're also trying to fight for their freedom from the, the Cardassians. And uh, Macius, uh, who's one of the Maquis, is, is kind of a father figure toward her and even has a respect for, for Bajoran food and culture and, and all of that. So when he dies during the episode, it's like his father is being killed all, her father is being killed all over again. And it just kind of ignites this conflict with her. And you see that conflict when she's talking to, to Picard in, in the, in the bar when they're in, in civilian clothing. And, you know, at the, this episode's actually, I, what I find interesting is this episode's directed by Patrick Stewart. And so he was directing basically himself in, in the last scene and something very unusual happens for Picard. He hasn't gotten 
you know, the mission objective or what he wants at, at the end of it. And he's, he just doesn't even know what to do. He's, he's completely unresponsive to what Riker is, is telling him when he hands him a report and just walks out of the room and they kind of pan around his face and he's just in a way that you've never seen him before. So I like the episode a lot because I think it has a lot of complexity, a lot of ambiguity to it. It's more typical of, of Deep Space Nine. Uh, so it's an unusual thing to see in Next Generation, especially like this was right before All Good Things. So this was one of the last things that they went out on for, um, for TNG. Um, anyway, I've talked a lot about it. What do you think, Amy? Well, I, I like the episode as well. And we definitely get to see the Ro character highlighted. This is definitely her episode. Um, one thing that I found interesting, especially going through all of her episodes and how believable her relationship with Picard is. I mean, we've talked about every episode that she's been in and we haven't really discussed her and Picard but yet in preemptive strike that is one of the main themes you know this fatherly figure and how Picard uh has you know that fatherly figure figure and then also um the Maquis who Marcius Macius Macius yeah um took on that role as well and so and I'm like gosh we haven't really seen Roe and Picard that much, but yet in preemptive strike, it is very evident um, their relationship and how believable it is. And just kudos to both of their actors for pulling that off and making the story real. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that's the heart of it is is the trust that they've gained, and then at the end of it, the 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 struggle and the trust that's broken. I mean, you, like when when she's talking to him and saying that she has doubts about the mission. I mean, you can see like the divided loyalty and that she's just so struggling with this. And I think Picard actually makes a mistake here because she's expressing some some real difficulty with the mission, and he basically says, "Well, you know, we can put you." On uh, um, in front of a board of inquiry, or we can court martial you if you don't go through this. So he's kind of forcing her away, and I think that's a mistake that that he makes. Where he should have, um, it's one of the few you know uh, command mistakes I think that I I see Picard make, where he uh, he doesn't step back and say, "All right." you're having a lot of difficulty with this. I know this is important for, for Starfleet Command, but we need to pull back. We need to explain the situation to them. But he's like very hard about it. So he almost like forces her away, which is, which is quite unfortunate. But you see that hard side of Picard sometimes. So I think it's an interesting exploration also of a part of his character that you haven't actually seen much since the early seasons where he tended to be really hard on people. He's kind of loosened up or become, you know, a little bit different over the years. But... Um, I think it's it's an episode that's hard to you know categorize in just you know one word or or one part because it, I don't know just this the story that it tells I, I find to be really interesting and I don't think that it really makes a like a judgment one way or or the other but it just is trying to present it from both sides and you you end up feeling sympathetic to to both of the sides and that this is just a terrible thing that's been brought on i mean much like you know in an episode that's that's about war you know it's it's terrible for for both sides but it has to be done sometimes you know so anyway i i think it's a it's a really great episode i would say it's actually the best episode out of the eight that 
that Roe was in. Ensign Roe is really good, but I mean, because it brings up all of these questions and all of these complexities that, that it's hard to resolve or it's hard to just swallow it as something that's, that's a simple episode. So I, I really like it for that because it causes me to ask a lot of questions, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Well, we have definitely explored Ensign Row. So let's uh, give our closing thoughts um, as our hour comes up to a close. So, uh, Richard, why don't you start us off and your closing thoughts on Ensign Row? <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so like you're like you're saying like if we were different if we didn't have our memories i was just thinking about that while uh justin was talking about uh the apprentice strike um i was thinking that you know yeah i I definitely am a different person back in 1992 when the or what what year was it Uh, 94 was preemptive strike 94 94. Okay. So 94, uh, when I watched this episode, I do believe that I really liked it a lot. And yeah, um, I can see sympathy, uh, sympathy for, uh, the Maquis and everything, even though they get wiped out of Voyager. <laughs> but like, um, one thing that, uh, and now thinking about it now, it's like, I, I definitely would have hated it. Absolutely would have hated it um now today i mean because anything that deals with i mean because like it with television shows that are going on right now especially when they deal with military or something like that it you know obviously you know who the good guy is you see the who the bad guy is there is no in between um on what side of the war there is and especially on this one this is you know obviously there's a third party and uh and i guess i could sympathize with them but reality is i wouldn't um but like um just Overall, Ensign Row is, yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's a, uh, some of these episodes are great. I mean, I think the last episode is what did it in for me. And um, I just really think that it, it could have been, it could have ended differently. Let's say they, she betrayed them and then goes to prison, back to prison or something like that. Um, maybe if she, and that would probably have been, um, I guess, a more honorable way uh, to deal with her, uh, or, or for me, it would be, but like, I don't know her taking off is not a really good thing. So, um, going through all of these episodes, I think was such a great idea, Justin. And I get my first impressions of Roe of, you know, Oh, I don't like Ensign Roe, but after our discussion and highlighting the episodes that she is, uh, she is in, I think has been really good for me and has changed my opinion on Roe, especially these latter ones, um, Next Phase, Rascals, and Preemptive Strike, where we really get to see her character develop and has really changed my opinion. Um, So now I'm not just so focused on Conundrum and her issues with Riker and Troy and stuff like that. But she does bring a complexity and richness to the next generation especially at the end that definitely needs to be highlighted. And I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to talk about Ensign Roe. What are your uh, closing thoughts on Roe Lauren? Yeah, so as I said before, she's one of my favorite characters in, in Star Trek. Um, I mean, she's, she's a strong woman who's, who's just kind of fiercely independent, will always tell you what, 
what she has on her mind. Um, and she's extremely knowledgeable. She can pilot the ship. She can do tactical. She has some engineering knowledge, goes to advanced tactical training. So I think she's a, for eight episodes, she's an amazingly, I think, well-rounded character where we learn about a lot about her background. Um, and I think it was a nice dose to, to the last few seasons. And season five is actually my favorite season of TNG. And part of the reason is because of all the episodes Roe is in and her presence, because it introduces something a little bit different. Uh, because, you know, over the course of the almost five seasons, they'd kind of, you know, gelled together as a crew and, and gotten to know each other. And there was this element to shake things up. And I like when things can be, you know, shaken up and, and you can see how it works. Um, I'll say a couple of other things. So we talked about preemptive strike, which was the last place that Roe appeared uh, on screen. I saw a rumor that they were thinking of bringing her on to Voyager after she had um, turned down Deep Space Nine. I didn't, wasn't able to confirm that. Maybe it would have made sense because she was in the Maquis, but I don't know if that happened. But something that, that did happen is in the uh, DS9 novels that take place after the end of the show, Roe is a huge part of those, uh, starting from the beginning two-parter Avatar. And I love those books so much. I won't you know spoil for anyone what happens, but Roe is a big presence in all of those DS9 books. So we get to see a lot more of her um, in in the, the Trek books. And, and I love that because it continues her story and continues, you know, some of the complexities that she brought to things. She was a part of a lot of great episodes. And for me, you know, if she had never been on the show, there would have been something that was uh, missing from the next generation. Well, talking about Ensign Roe Laren isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Earl Grey. Here's a look at what you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, to the journey! So his, his whittling skills are so advanced that he can whittle wood into leather. Into vegan leather, yes. He is now Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> he is the Rumpelstiltskin of the Marquis. Warp 5. You think they start to like like each other and then it's more like a father-daughter kind of relationship and then he basically becomes uh, 50 first dates and she falls in love with him. <laughs> so <That's> great. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. The 602 Club. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Lee, that that's inspired to have him in that role. It, it really is such a good bit of casting to have him there. Primitive Culture. A look at history and culture through Star Trek. The key thing with Jutrelli's, all of these elements are exactly the same thing as the events in real life. You know, the Metron Cascade is the bomb. Rhinax is Nagasaki or Hiroshima. You know, the poisoning is analogous to radiation poisoning and all these different things. And the the parallels are enormously overt with Jutrell straight away. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcast on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, 
speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's shows, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best places to join the larger conversation is in the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. We love interacting with our listeners there, so join the conversation. If you'd like to send us an email, we love those too. You can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to help keep all the shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It's requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all that details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Justin, if people want to talk to you and reach out to you on the internet, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is TrekFan4747, where I tweet, tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And currently, I'm tweeting about my Next Generation rewatch, which should make Amy happy. Very happy. Yay. <laughs> and you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. And Richard, where can people reach out to you? Um, well, they can find me on the Babel Conference, um, where I pop in here and there. And they can also find me at on Twitter at AXRansom. So there we go. Yes, we're glad you're back on Twitter. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I also am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is hanging out at the Babel Conference. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die. Great joy and gratitude.